Welcome everyone to Paranormal Roundtable, PRT for short. My name is Josh Turner, also known as Wolf. And uh, PRTPodcast.com, that is our web address, PRTPodcast.com. And PRTPodcast.com is where you can find our merchandise. Uh, you can find uh, t-shirts and backpacks, mugs. I'm going to have a guest, and, and I'm going to introduce him right now. His name is Arturo. Arturo, are you there? Yes, hi. It's an honor to be on your show, and I am very grateful for the opportunity of you letting me explain or find answers to this encounter I had in the woods with some sorcerers. So, so Arturo, what we're going to talk about, uh, this happened not far from where I'm, I'm from. It's not far from far away. About, yeah. Probably about 30 miles, maybe. Yeah, and I won't give the exact direction, but it is half an hour away from that town you grew up in. And, you know, just in case any of the people there that performed whatever they did are listening, I'm just sharing because I want answers. And what happened was very unusual. And it did change my life for the better. But, you know, I always wonder what was it exactly? And hopefully after sharing my story, I can get some answers and understand. Maybe we can unravel a little bit. I can give you some, uh, maybe some insight. We talked about it a little bit. We haven't gone into it in, in full detail, but you did tell me uh, the overview of, of what had happened. And then once you're done, you know, given the, given the, the, the listening audience your uh, story, then maybe we can go over and talk about what I think and give you my take on it. Like I said, I don't, I don't know the entire story, but... Um, we're going to start from the beginning. So your your name is Arturo, and you you actually don't live in Central Texas. You live in Texas, and we're not going to say where, but you you live a long ways away. Oh yeah, pretty far away. Even the climate is different. But um, yeah, and I've been an educator most of my life. I'm 47 years old, and I'm what they call a hopeful skeptic. I want to believe certain things, certain certain things. And, well, I do believe what I heard and what I saw. And after that, you know, I got to studying a bit more, and uh, hopefully I can get more answers. Yeah. When this happened to you, what were you doing for a living at that time? We had been laid off from the nonprofit center where I worked at as an educator, teaching people GED skills and English as a second language. And I recall that... During that time off, I studied for a translation test. So I passed my written exams, and I had to go to Austin to take the oral exam. And, you know, this happened in November of 2016, four years ago. And what happened was I finished early, and I had my camping gear in the trunk of my car. And I said to myself, wow, you know, I finished early? I should go hike and camp somewhere nearby. And I found out about a couple of state parks nearby. And I went to this one that like 30 minutes away from Austin. And when I got there, the lady rangers, they told me, you know what? You should have booked in advance because there's no more spots available. You cannot stay here and camp. But they said, 
there's a ranch nearby. If you follow this road about three miles down, you're going to find it. And they gave me the name, which I won't share, because later on I Googled it. And it's a beautiful place in the daytime. They have a good business going there. But uh, what I encountered was very weird. So I went down that road, and it was actually like a mile and a half away. When I hit the creek, I turned back, and I noticed that the that the white fence belonged to that ranch. So I went near the entrance, but it had a dirt path, and there were some hills and a lot of trees. And uh, since the name wasn't there on a sign or anything, I decided to wait because I was not going to go into private property. And I know in Texas, you know, most people have have guns and long yeah. arms. Private property is not something you want to transgress on. Uh, let me ask you a question r- really quick before we go any further. One of the things we talked about, folks, th- you were headed to a a park, okay, a place that, that, that you know, and, and what was, and I know exactly where you're talking about, at least, you know, not, not the place that your event happened, but that park you're talking about. What was telling to me, what was odd about it was that these, these, these lady rangers, there were three of them, right? Three female rangers, young yeah. ladies. All. And they told you to literally go onto private property, which is weird. I mean, it's odd that they would, I mean, that's not, they're not supposed to suggest things like that. And because of, well, I thought it was helpful because, you know, I came a long way and they said, don't go ahead, don't take your money and they'll let you camp. So I said, Hey, you know, that's great. Maybe they know each other or, you know, give business that way. So I didn't think anything, you know, nefarious about it. So I went on my way and I waited outside because there is no sign giving the name of the ranch, just the entrance. So I waited and waited and the sun was going down at this time. And then, you know, lucky for me, this white pickup truck with a lady and her adolescent daughter came by and I asked them, I flagged them down, hey, is this blankety blank ranch? And they said, oh, yeah, please follow us. We'll introduce you to the manager. So I followed them and that dirt path, it, you know, went through some hills and some curves and we came across an office building and they were constructing a Wild West type saloon hotel uh, made out of wood, two stories high, beautiful. You know, I I guess they want to do that as a mini hotel or something. But I recall the people were very friendly. They introduced me to the lady manager who was a, a lady about her 50s. And she was very nice, very polite. I paid my money. She gave me a receipt. And I recall thinking, you know, she's too nice. I mean, I'm a nice guy. And you know when people are being nice, but sometimes you get your antenna up when you feel that somebody's being way too nice. And the reason I say that is because when I paid my money in her office, I noticed she had some exercise equipment. And I told her, hey, can I use this to work out in the meantime? And she said, yeah, go ahead. And she left the room with a lot of trust. And I guess money was in the desk. But I went ahead and did some pull-ups and some exercise using her machine. She came back and just having a good conversation. And she recommended a bunch of spots to visit. 
Now, on her desk was this big map, and I'm very artistically inclined. I'm very good at drawing. And I saw the map, and I asked her, can I have this? And she said, no. So I took a paper, and I copied it. And she pointed out, okay, you got to go to this one part. Now, this ranch, it's like one mile wide, two miles long, like a rectangle. And if you see it from the sky down, there's like a figure eight dirt path. So she told me to go to the the upper edge. There's one spot to go right in the middle, which was a nice spot. That's what she said. But then she told me, you definitely have to go to this place by the creek. There's a grove of tall trees. There's a sandy embankment next to that creek. And that's the best place in the park. You must go there. So I thanked her, you know, you know, paid my money, I got my receipt, and I went along my way. And I went to the first spot, and I, I went in there, and I scouted it, but there were too many trees. I couldn't see the sky. There was just not enough room to breathe properly. And uh, I noticed at that time, it was dark already, I noticed the white pickup truck passed near my car. So I paid it no mind, and I, I went back to my car, and I said, well, I'm going to go check out the place in the middle. So as I'm driving to the place in the middle of the ranch, I noticed that white pickup truck coming in front of me. So we're about to meet, and we both slow down. But this time, it's a, a young 25-year-old gentleman and probably his girlfriend in, in the driver's side. So we stop. And even though I know where I am at, I asked the guy for directions. So the guy gave me some directions, but he's sending me the wrong way, the opposite way. And I call him on it. I tell him, hey, uh, you know, I think you're sending me the wrong way, the opposite of where I want to go. I want to go to where that grove of trees is. And the guy thought about it for a moment. And he says, okay, okay, you paid your money. You have a right to be there. But just do me a favor. Wherever you go, camp near your car. There's uh, a heavy rope that I cordoned off a section of the grove. Don't go beyond it. And, you know, there's a place next to that grove. There's a few pine trees, but there's open sky. You're going to enjoy that area. But do me a favor. Wherever you camp in that section, stay near your car. Whatever you do, camp near your car. Stay near your car. Now, he said it three times, and he seemed very adamant about it. So I asked him, dude, I mean, you're telling me this a bunch of times. What's going on? So he says, oh, oh, we're going to be shooting hogs in the morning, and I don't want the bullet to be coming your way. Well, I thanked him because that sounded very reasonable. So I excused myself and I went my way. And sure enough, as I pull into that section, I can see, even in the darkness far away, I can see the tall grove of trees. And there are three cars parked underneath. I see the rope where it blocks off the path where I'm headed to. So I turn my car around and I'm a very respectful guy. So, you know, I don't get anywhere near it. And I I parked the car in the road path, in the dirt path, and there's some rocks there. And 
the first thing I want to do is run over to the creek. You know, I'm all excited. I haven't been hiking or camping in a while. So I have my flashlight and I'm running towards the creek. And the creek's about 50 yards away. So I'm getting close and boom, all of a sudden, the creek's uh, 10 feet below me. So there's a ridge. And I'm looking at the water down there. The, the water's rustling. I'm all excited. I'm shining my flashlight. Across the creek is a big ridge. And, you know, my light's pretty powerful. And I'm enjoying the moment. You know, that's the whole reason I wanted to escape, just to enjoy nature. So as I'm flashing my light around, I notice to my right side where the grove of trees was about 100 yards away, there's a bonfire. So I quickly turn off my lamp, my, my flashlight, and I notice that the bushes in front of the, of the bonfire, they're moving. So I thought to myself, oh, gosh, maybe it's people and they're naked. Maybe that's the reason why they jumped into the bushes. Now, mind you, I did not see anybody. I just saw the bushes move. But even from 100 yards away, I can tell that the bonfire is about four feet tall, pretty wide. And there are some flying things flying around it. And the best way I can describe it to you is, imagine if you took a black shirt, a T-shirt, and you cut it up to make rags. And these rags, about maybe four or five of them, are spinning, flying around the bonfire. And the cloth is stretchy. And I mean, I saw that, but I didn't think anything of it. I said, ah, oh, whatever, you know, it's not my business. And I didn't think anything of it. So I proceeded to start collecting firewood. I turned away and I started picking up pieces of tree limbs because I want to make a bonfire and I want to select a spot for my camping. So I did that and I started to notice uh, people screaming and yelling. And from what I could tell, there were two males and one female. And they were screaming at the top of their lungs. And I thought to myself, oh boy, these people are drunk or they're getting high. So I paid it no mind. I kept getting more firewood, started piling it in a certain area. And I did that for a little while, maybe made three trips collecting all this firewood. And I'm ignoring the screams because I'm thinking, man, maybe, maybe it's a primal scream therapy group. You know, I'm coming up with all these reasonable excuses for what I'm listening to. And I'm not scared or anything. I'm just thinking, oh, I hope they don't become a bother. So anyways, I continue. And I recall there was one dried out tree. And I started sna started snapping off tree limbs off of it, making a cracking noise, crunch, crunch. And as I'm getting that firewood, I, I listened to something walking from their bonfire campsite to me. Now, it's about 100, 120 yards away. But at night in the forest, you can hear things. And I can hear a bipedal something walking towards me. 
and it's bipedal. There's no mistake. You can tell when it's a four-legged animal or a person. And to me, it's like a person. But usually when you step, you know, people use their heel and the ball of the foot, and it makes a distinctive noise, and you can tell it's a person. Well, this one, to me, it seemed spiky, like just like something spiky pressing on the earth, walking towards me. And what comes up in my mind is like deer feet, something spiky, but it's coming right towards me. You mean, you mean like something hooved? Not exactly hooved, but spiky. Like, for example, a tripod, you know, they have those leg extensions and they're spiky. That's how I felt it. Plus it was light. So I felt maybe it was a female. And I recall thinking, well, it's a woman and she's walking away from the bonfire. Maybe the only reason somebody does that is to go pee. Now it's coming right at me. And I start thinking, well, I don't want to come across as a pervert or anything in case she's going to pee near me. So when, when it kept coming and it was about 10 feet away, and I looked around and I didn't see anybody, I decided to call out. And I'm going to quote exactly what I said. I said this, hey, good evening. I'll be camping north of your site. Don't come in my space. I will not go into yours. And now that's what I said. And silence. No more steps. Nothing. And it's so dark that even though it's 10 feet away, all I could see was a bush in between us. And I had turned off my lamp once again out of respect and courtesy. But I couldn't see. So I waited. And I got to tell you, I had a, a machete in my right hand. And I wanted to look as non-threatening as possible. So I put it across my chest and I'm standing tall and I'm about 6'2", 210. And I got a big Texas gallon hat on. So I'm trying to look as tall as possible. And it was a cold night. I had a double jacket and I'm trying to look big and tall, right? But nothing. I don't hear anything. So after a few seconds, you know, I decide, well, you know, I better make a move. I'm going to walk away. Now, the older I get, the better I get at sensing things. And I, I really felt like somebody eyeballed me up and down, up and down. But they never made a sound. They never called anything. They never, they didn't do anything. So I walked away. And as I'm walking away, you know, I gave my back to whatever this was. And I take about maybe eight or 10 steps. And to my left is the three cars that are parked. Well, as I am walking away, all of a sudden, I hear the trunk of a car slam shut. And in that microsecond, I turned to my left, and I could see the red lights of the car flooding the ground. And then, you know, the, the trunk was shut. So, I mean, as quickly as it happened, I turned and I saw the trunk being closed very harshly because it made a big banging sound. But here's the funny thing, Josh. There was nobody there. And then I thought to myself, oh, maybe the person was in a shadow by the side and they slammed it from the side. But, you know, now that I think about it, that's not really possible. So anyways, I paid it no mind. I ignored it. I kept doing my thing. I collected more firewood. And finally, I had a big pile. 
and I had picked out the spot where I wanted to camp. And in a way, it was a blessing for me that the matches that I had kept for a full year in the trunk of my car were moist and they would not light up. So I said, okay, I'm not going to have a fire. I might as well pitch my tent. So I went to the car, I got my tent, and I started laying it out. Now, a detail I have to tell you is that I had only been camping once with that tent, and people had helped me set it up in the daytime. This time I'm all alone, and I'm struggling to put up this tent, and I'm really having a hard time. And by the way, I'm ignoring the screams. But, uh, well, before I continue, i got to tell you, one of the screams from the lady, at that moment I heard when she yelled, ah, her voice changed. Now, I have to tell you, I never heard talking or whispering. These people were just shouting or yelling, screaming. No words, just, ah. And like I said, two males, one female. Well, in this instance, the female's voice carried and it transformed. It went from, ah, to, ah. It really got gruff and thick and strong. And I recall thinking, oh, man, these people are on drugs. But still, I wasn't scared. I wasn't paying it any mind. Well, anyways, I proceeded to set up my tent, and it took me like 30 minutes. And I had my flashlight in my mouth. I'm dripping saliva, and I'm getting pissed off at myself for not practicing and setting up my tent. Well, finally, I get it done. And when I get it done, I go and take my wife's best blankets from the car. I I put like five layers because I want to sleep nice and comfortably. And I'm about to take off my boots when all of a sudden, instead of all the screaming I had heard, I heard howling and barking and growling. And I recall the, the first barking I heard, there was like a eight-step staccato, like ruff, 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 eight times, and then howling. And sometimes the howling was together. Sometimes one howl would go up, and then the others would join in. And there was growling all the time. And this, growling and howling. Yeah. This started with the female, right? You know what? I, I do recall hearing the female, her voice transform. Yeah. And like I told you, I thought maybe they were just doing drugs. I mean, that's the explanation I gave myself. And like I told you, I, I wasn't scared or anything. I was just thinking, you know, it's not my business. They're over there. I'm over here. And, you know, I'm minding my own business. I just want to rest and sleep and enjoy the night. Did you hear any speaking, like, like as far as language? Never, never. Not a word. No whispering. No conversation. You know, and when this started, the uh, barking and the growling, I thought, you know, maybe these people are having a clandestine dog fight where they set bull, pit bulls against each other. And I, I actually thought, well, maybe that's what it is. But there was no carnage. Like, there was no fighting between the animals like you would imagine a dog fight would have. So, so at that point in time, uh, I was amazed. I wasn't scared. And the howling was incredible. And it's like I later told my wife, I wish I would have had batteries in that tape recorder box that I took. 
Both. And, you know, for my uh-huh. Well, one, one of the things, that it's a new trend, like uh, the dog fights um, now are social distancing dog fights. They do them six foot away, and the dogs just bark at each other. <laughs> well, and they wear masks. Humor, Josh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, Arturo. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Well, what happened was that I'm, I'm in awe. And instead of being scared, I'm amazed. And like I told you, I wish I could have recorded it because the three howling things were just awesome, beautiful. And I wish I could have recorded it. But, you know, the cell phone I had at the time was one of those flip phones. And uh, no, it, no, I just didn't think about that. When you say but, it was awesome, what do you mean? Like, it, it wasn't terrifying? You know, you know well... It depends on the context. Like I've been in the in the woods and in the desert many, many times. I've heard coyotes in the wild. When they howl, they have a high pitch whine to it. Like in my mind, I can see a thin strand going up in the air. But these things were deeper, thicker, stronger, because the growling and weird barking. I mean, I'm telling you, it was, it was awesome. I, I have no words, and I, like I said, I wish I could have recorded it. But I, as I was amazed and admiring the the howling, I thought, wow. And uh, I recall all the stories of Sasquatch and Dogman. But I thought, no, these are people. I, I see their cars. So it kept getting louder and louder, and I'm not scared yet. But uh, then I noticed that the white pickup truck was backing in to where the other three cars were. So I thought to myself, oh, man, instead of three, there's five now. And it's just me and my machete. You know, now I'm a concealed handgun owner and pretty responsible. But I thought, you know, the odds are against me. And I'm not going to be able to sleep through this because they were getting louder and louder. And, you know, another thing that went through my mind was maybe they just have a loudspeaker and it's a tape recording and that's why it's getting louder and louder. But, Josh, if you allow me to interject, um, I have family in Juarez and I live in El Paso and I've lived in both parts. But when that cartel business was happening, that war in 2007 through 2012, my brother-in-law was a police officer, was about one year into the force, and he got killed in 2011. And the reason I'm going to bring this up is because that idea I had of maybe somebody playing a trick on me with a loudspeaker and raising the volume excuse me, is similar to what I felt when I had to go see my brother-in-law's body at the funeral home in Juarez. And I took my wife. She wanted to see her brother. But I went in first, and the place was dark and closed, but uh, I spoke to the guy, and he was going to allow us to go in. So he told me to wait, and I waited in the hallway where they keep, well, it's like a little hallway to the entrance of where they lay out the, the bodies that that family can go see. So I'm there sitting in a sofa in, in the dark. Like I tell you, I'm not scared of many things. But I'm there in the shadows just to see what I can feel when all of a sudden I hear 
sniffling, crying, moaning, in pain. And I thought, oh, God, that's weird. So I started walking towards the sound. And as I got closer and closer to the corner wall, I noticed that the moaning and the sobbing and the crying, and I could feel the pain. And I could literally hear people crying. I looked up and I was looking for a loudspeaker. I was looking for wires. But what I found was that the sound was coming from the corner ceiling, from the corner. And I mean, there were no wires there. It's like it was a trapped echo or something. And only in the dark, I could hear the the crying and the sobbing. And I'm guessing, I guess it's people's pain when they go see their dead loved ones at the funeral parlor. So at that moment, the guy turns on the hallway light and he calls me over and I go and I ask him, hey, did you play a tape recorder or anything? And he told me, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then we went to go see my dead brother-in-law. But I bring that up because I had the similar sense here that when the volume of the howling was getting stronger and stronger, you know, it felt the same way, like just something weird, just off. Well, anyways, getting back to the story, in that moment that is getting louder, the howling is incredible, it's getting loud. I say to myself, no way. There's no way I'm going to sleep through this. So I said, screw it. I put out the the tent poles and everything came crashing down. And I was going to leave. But then I thought to myself, okay, I've heard Dogman Encounters. I've heard Sasquatch Chronicles. And I've heard about, you know, Bigfoot and, and all these cryptids. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go take a peek and find out who's making all that howling. So I did my best ninja, Josh. I started walking towards the creek again with the machete in my right hand. And when I say I'm doing my best ninja, I'm going very slowly. I'm stepping very carefully. I cannot even hear my own feet crunching, you know, in the forest floor. So I'm walking slowly and I'm advancing and I get to about, I advance 20 yards and I'm still like, 30 yards away from the creek. Now, earlier in the evening, I told you I made it all the way to the creek and where I could see their bonfire. But this time, no. Way before that, you know, is where the gist of my encounter happened. I took one more step. And before I took another one, it's like I hit an invisible shield. And that same moment, three things happened. I recall sensing that the air on the other side, something, the vibe was warped. The air felt odd. It felt weird. It just felt different. And at the same time, I felt that if I advanced more, not only was I going to lose my life, I was going to lose part of my soul. And you know, to compare that fear, I'll have to share something else with you. You know, like I told you, I'm a guy that's not scared of many things. And I've encountered mm, bad guy humans in a big city and in Juarez in a life or death situation. In the big city, I had to face, you know, some youngsters in the dead of night 
in a life and death situation, and I was able to to overcome it by tricking them. Basically, I made myself to be more of a predator than these kids were, you know, hunting for victims that night. Well, when I went through that, I recall it's a certain fear, but you get over it. And I recall going to my apartment and shaking the adrenaline. I let it all out. But in the moment I had to act, I had the combat mentality ready and I acted well. And like I said, I turned the tables on these guys. Now, the same thing happened in Juarez. I can't give you more details, but it was life and death, and that guy was a bad guy. And he had me. He had me. He could have shot me. And, you know, when people say, oh, I saw my life go in one second, yes, I've experienced that. But what I'm trying to tell you, Josh, is that in those two instances, the danger was human. The fear is palpable in a in a way you can understand what i experienced when i hit that shield was very very different it was soul level terrifying so like i said i felt the air was wrong i knew that this was soul level deep but the third thing and most important part was this from inside of me i felt a voice i'm telling you i felt it i didn't hear it when you hear something, it comes in through your ears. No, this came from within my body, and it was very clear. And I cannot tell you if it was English or Spanish, but I understood the words. And the words were this, do not cross this line. And when I heard that, you know, I knew I was not going to advance further. And in that second, I turned around and I started walking, making noise. I didn't care that people could hear me anymore. I just wanted to leave and get out of there fast. And I was going to leave, you know, my camping gear behind. But then I thought, oh, shoot, my wife's best blankets. I'd rather face a couple of dogmen with my machete than my wife angry. And like I explained to you, I'm a very orderly guy. I like to fold things and put them away. But no, this time I'm dragging the tent on the floor. I scratch up my car, pushing it through the window, and I'm kicking it in. I just want to leave. And I'm looking back, right? Nobody's following me. The howls are just increasing. They're getting louder still. But, I mean, there's nobody behind me, nothing like that. I get in my car, and I'm very, very scared. And my car turns on by the click of a button. And I recall when I go in, I was so nervous. I hit the damn wrong button. And I opened my trunk. So then I had to get out of the car again. The machete still in my right hand. And now I'm facing the grove. The howling is incredible. And I slam shut the trunk. And I'm looking at, you know, there in their direction. But nobody's following me. So when I get in the car again, I recall thinking, should I speed away like in the movies, kicking up a cloud of dust? And no, I did the opposite. I took off very slowly, and I made my way down the dirt path. As, and as I was leaving, uh, going through the curve, I noticed that the guy had put another thick rope. He cordoned off the path. So I was, in a way, blocked in. And I recall that, you know, there's forest to my left, there's forest to my right. And 
you know, I can't see beyond one yard into the bush. And I'm so scared that I did not dare step out of my car and unhook the rope. I thought better of it. In fact, I had rolled up my windows to to about an inch of air. And um, I'm still gripping the machete in my right hand. And there's no way I'm going to leave the car. So I went over some bushes on the right side. And uh, the car, because it's kind of low, it slid underneath the rope. And I was able to leave. And as I'm leaving the ranch, I decide to stop at the office. And I stop. And it's very dark. I don't think anybody's there. So I call out to the lady. And I can't, well, I have her name written down, but, you know, I, I won't repeat it. I call out, nobody answers, and there's a dark ravine in between where I'm at and the office. And in order to knock on her office, I would have to go into pitch black canal ravine type thing. And no, something told me, no, don't go there. So I took off in my car. I left the ranch. 30 minutes later, I'm in Johnson City, and I stop at a gas station. So I call my wife, but... Before I called my wife, I called the lady of the ranch. I mean, I still have her phone number and her name. Anyways, I call her and I tell her, hey, lady, something weird's going on at your ranch. I had to leave. And then she says, oh, I hope you come again. But then I tell her, no, no, you're not getting it, lady. Some people were howling like wolves and just doing some weird things. And I had to leave. And then she says, and this is the weird part. She says, oh, I hope next time you bring your children. What? <laughs> so I hung up the phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just made no sense. And I said, geez. So I hung up and I drove all the way to the city where I live. It took about eight hours all night. And all night I was thinking about it like, damn, what could it have been? It's funny, but on the way, I found a dead deer, and I picked it up, put it in my trunk, and one of my kids wants to be a vet. So we opened it up, and we played with the guts in the morning, and I tried to make leather out of the skin. But, you know, that's besides the point. But um, very memorable. And the thing about it was that it felt evil, and thanks to that, you know, I'm a praying man. I'm a family man. But now I pray. Now I study a lot of things, including the Bible, but I'm very close to my faith now. And in a weird way, I have to thank this experience. And for the longest time, I wanted to thank the gentleman in the white pickup truck who warned me. I, I mean, it was obvious he was in on it, but he was nice enough to give me a warning. And you know what, Josh, I could have been disappeared. Thinking about it, nobody knew where I was. No one, not even my family. I mean, Later, I investigated more about werewolves and uh, cults and magic, black magic type witchery and sorcery. In fact, when I spoke with some of my neighbors, they invited a friend of theirs to come visit me. And he was an older gentleman. And he explained to me that, you know, there's a bunch of different cults all over, but especially in our Texas capital that there is a big cult, and this is how he said, of wolf people. That's what he said. And, you know, he's got an interesting story, if you want, I can share later. But 
But after listening to all that, I came away more more with questions than answers. And part of the reason I'm talking to you now, Josh, is because, you know, I, I want to find out what was it. And I don't I don't know if I'm doing well or not by wanting to go back and thank that guy. Part of me wants to invite him to to get close to Jesus and to God instead of messing around with all that. But I don't know. And uh, I'm tempted to go back one day. And like I said, uh, in the morning when I got home, I Googled it. The place is beautiful and it's really nice. And, you know, I can't give any more details because it is a business and there's no way I'm bad-mouthing them. And in case any of that cult is listening, I'm doing this respectfully. And, well, there should be no reason for you to come after me for any reason because they did write down my information. But that's the story, Josh. So let me ask you this. What what do you think it was? You know what? I think I think these people were doing some kind of ceremony that was black magic in nature. And I really feel either these pers these persons got possessed by some kind of animal spirit, or maybe they somehow transformed into I don't know, maybe maybe some of the dogmen that we hear about are these things, shapeshifters or skinwalker types. But like we spoke, I mean, there could be so many different variables, whether, you know, flesh and blood dogmen or black magic ceremony dogmen or, you know, government funded super soldier dogmen. The truth, I think, comes in many bits and pieces, and there might be truth to all of them. But I know what I heard, and those flying things, I know what I saw. But I'm also grateful that I couldn't see anything. Maybe my, you know, I credit my, my guardian spirit, my guardian angel, telling me not to cross that line. For a while, I thought that whatever entity was there was the one talking to me. But no, this came from within me. And... Like I explained to you, Josh, when I met my wife, when I told her to marry me, I never asked. I told her, marry me. It wasn't me speaking. It was something deep inside me. And I like to credit my dead father, who he never got to see me as an upstanding man that I am now. But I really credit my dead father for <laughs> making me say the words, telling my future wife to marry me. And... You know, those are the only two instances that that voice from deep within me spoke when I married my wife and when they told me not to cross that line. Those two moments are very similar because they came from the same spot. And it could be the Holy Spirit telling you too, and using a, a different voice in your head for the inner monologue. I, I believe that because... I'm very Gnostic in the way I believe. I believe that mankind can look their entire life for God throughout the world and they won't find it until they look within. And uh, I believe that sometimes God tells you things through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will tell you not to do certain things and you it's up to you to follow suit, you know, and not do them or to do them depending on the situation. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And like I told you, you know, before that, I had been slacking about going to church and praying and that sort of thing. But after that, it was a wake-up call. 
And like I said, I, I only feel gratefulness. And like I told you, if I could meet that young guy, I'd thank him. But I'd also try to persuade him to leave the cult and go for better things. Respectfully, I would say. The person that, that told you about the wolf people in particular. Uh, yeah. This person, how did the, how did it come up with in the conversation exa- exactly? Well, when I got here that morning and uh, my neighbors saw the deer and I told them the story, they spoke with a mutual friend of theirs. And this older gentleman came over. He wanted to talk to me and we spoke. And when we started talking, he told me his story, which I could share now. Basically, like over here in, in El Paso and Juarez, the radio stations on the other side of the border are very, very strong in the AM. And in Mexico, there's a, or there used to be a program similar to Coast to Coast. It was called La Mano Peluda, or The Hairy Hand. But basically, it was a, a three-hour program where people would call in and share stories. Let me, let me say something really quickly. The Hairy Hand is also a legend from Mexico, Yes, um, yes. And I believe it's from Moaxica. I want to say that that's where it originated, but it spread throughout Mexico. And it, it is a story really, really quickly, just because El Mano Peludo, when, when you're talking about the, uh, the, the show, uh, yeah. the, the hairy hand, it, it was a, a saloon keeper and he was wanting to go to, to close his shop. And he had these uh, bandidos who didn't want to leave. leave. And they kept on, and and they were being real baracho teresos, as they would say. And uh, they didn't want to go. And so he told them, you know, you got to go. And they're like, nah, shut up. You know, and they pointed the cuerta at him, which is a is a pistol, you know. And they, they told him, you go right. serve us drinks, you know, abuelo. You know, and so he went and he he said, he goes, if you don't, if you don't stop, something bad could happen, you know. And he goes, this there's a, there's a, a guardian that lives here, you know. And they ignored him. And then as they got drunker, there was a hand, a set of hands that appeared. And as they were so drunk, they didn't notice. And they were all playing cards. Uh, and they were dealing cards to this fourth person or fifth person. I believe there were four banditos. And the, the fifth person uh, was just a pair of hairy hands. And it was winning all their money. And it was taking all their money. And then one of them kind of woke up to the fact that, hey, who are we playing cards with? And when they all looked at him at the same time, they saw the devil. Like the uh, hour, oh, you know? yeah. and uh, at that time, I guess the kukui, whatever you want to call him, he uh, he took their souls, and he did this in front of the, the the innkeeper and his wife and another friend, and the story spread that that uh, that, that this uh, demon or whatever it was would uh, take your soul if you you uh, you know did that if you abused people whatever then it was like it was going to take you. And of course, there's different versions of it. There's about a hundred different versions of the story, but that's one that I was told from Matia Jova. They used to, uh, when we were on the way to uh, San Juan to the mission, we would go once a year down into the valley, and uh, she would always tell us those stories from Mexico. Those, uh, those, those, you know, yeah. very colorful you stories. You know, I second that legend that you're talking about because in our Mexican families, there's a lot of stories like that. And you know, my wife's from Durango which is a land with a lot of ghosts, a lot of brujas, and uh, nahuales, which apparently are skinwalker types as well. But yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right on as far as the story, La Mano Peluda, Mano Pasona. That's, that's the origin, true. 
Yep, and and well, so the, yeah, the, that that story it's 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 kind of like uh, the the stories of La Guerrona, how it all came to be. Um, they all have their own origins somewhere in Mexico, and uh, yeah, that that that's though that's interesting that that that, that radio station was called that because uh, a Mexicano would know like that they would know that story. You know what I mean? Like I right, look, yeah. yeah, I look like a Julio, you know, and <laughs> there's some. Mexicanos that, I, that, I've, that I've known for years and, and you know, they, they don't know any of those. They're like very gavacho, you know, they don't know those stories, you know, and I'm like, like, how do you know all these stories? Like, well, first of all, I, I'm, I'm, my thing is collecting stories, but Mexican folklore is like a strong suit of mine. I actually like studied it along with a lot of other, you know, so anyway, just yeah. throwing that out there. So, th so anyways. Well, the no, no, very rich in stories and traditions, but yeah, well, yeah, they selected the name probably in honor of that story. But what I recall was the gentleman telling me that he was listening to that show. But in Juarez, there came upon a new show that was kind of like a copycat, a local show of La Mano Peluda. I don't remember its name, but it was local only. And in that show, this elderly gentleman told me that he was listening and he befriended a guy that called in. Apparently, this guy, his mother was some kind of witch, and when she was pregnant, she made a ceremony with him as an embryo in the womb. And supposedly, when he was born, they, they, this is what he told me, that he was born with the gift of finding out where lost things were. So, when he, as he grew up, you know, a lot of things happened, but this old, elderly gentleman was awestruck by the story so much that he called the station guy and they traded phone numbers and he was able to, to befriend the, the guy with the gift. So years passed, they become friends and he shares the story that one time the radio host couldn't find his keys and he remembered this guy he says he phoned them he called them and when he called him he asked hey you know i can't find my keys can you use your your gift to find out where they are and sure enough my this elderly gentleman told me that the the guy was able to tell him go to your car look under the passenger side something I, I don't recall if it was inside or underneath but there they were on the floor under the passenger seat side there there were the keys so unfortunately that man with the gift died the the elderly guy you know he doesn't come around anymore but he told me that there were different sects or organizations of wolf people but that they got their power through sorcery and I know that in the outskirts of town where I live, back in the late 80s, there was a lot of, mm, how can I say it, ritualistic murder of little animals and pentagrams and that sort of thing. I don't know if those were adolescent or professional uh, sorcerers. And I don't want to mix the word witch because there's people that follow natural magic based on nature, not of evil spirits. So I don't want to offend those, but um, I'm talking about the evildoers, the black magic practitioners. 
But yeah, that's what the gentleman told me. And well, you know, a lot of people go missing every year. Makes you wonder, huh? So this guy, he was like, he had the ojo dotado, basically. Oh, well, I'm, yeah, I've never heard of that, but, but it must be a thing. Because I do believe a lot of invisible things happen. They don't follow any logic, at least any logic we come up with. Not everything is scientific. I believe a lot of things occur and they exist, but they don't fit the scientific mold. I really believe that. Yeah, the, the ojo, people when they're born with the eye, and, and there's a name for that, the gifted eye, the ojo dotado. And they, they're, they're, like when I was born, when I was a kid, when I was a baby, I was told by my wella, we called her wella, my great-grandmother, and she would always say that I had the eye, you know. And I, I was born with that, like being able to see things and whatever. But uh, it seems kind of a mundane thing, you know, if the guy's using it to find keys. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, but I mean, he called for help and the guy was able to deliver that way. And, you know, I always wonder about the that skeptic guy that offers $1 million for... Oh, approved. yes. Amazing Randy or something like that? Yeah, some something like that. And I figure, you know, maybe some some elements or variables have to factor in the ability for power to show itself. And if you do it in a in a lab, maybe the elements that are needed are not there to help you conjure up whatever it is your power is. I'm not sure, but I do love hearing about this stuff and trying to find answers. But yeah, Josh, that's my story. And like I said, I think I'm blessed in that I was not able to see any hideous, monstrous thing. You know, I, I keep wishing for a dogman encounter. <laughs> well, <laughs> I almost had one. Here's an interesting thing. And I don't I don't know if you follow me from, from when I was on Vic Cundiff's show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I've listened to the Yeah. So on dogman encounters, I did a, I covered this is it's going to come out pretty soon. I'm doing still a lot of research on it, and I don't know how long of a series it's going to be. And it may end up being longer than one episode. I don't know for sure. But right now I have a lot of material that I'm putting together for it. And it's a continuation on the, on the Hernandez family. Their ranch is not far from that place where you're where you're at. Not, I mean, it's not super close, but it's about as close as it is to Austin. It's not that far. So, so you know, all the activity that had gone on and that has gone on at that place makes me wonder like because some of the information that I've uncovered over the last you know couple of years that I've been been researching with them some of the stories that I've gotten out of there would lend credence to the fact that these things are not purely flesh and blood and what I mean by that is like there could be some some spiritual element to it maybe some shapeshifter element to it quite honestly I'll give you a little tidbit here of what I've learned that these yeah. creatures they're starting to believe are were part of like a a coven of like people who practice magic, and that's what a couple of the relatives out there believe. Um, the Hernandez is it's her alias. That's not their real name, but they they were telling me and Scorpion and a couple of the other guys that, that, that I'm friends with, and and of course my brother that we we know all these people, and they've told us a lot of stories. They one of them in particular really strongly believes that these are shapeshifters 
these people are like skinwalkers, but uh, they're like a a cult or a pack, and that they are able to shift and and become these these creatures, and that some of them, when they breed together, they 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 create children that are born physically, like what Stripes was. And if anybody yeah, doesn't know, that story. yeah, that's a story I told on, on Vic Cundiff's show. For those who are strictly PRT and haven't heard me on Vic Cundiff's show, go go over there and listen so you'll know what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> let me explain it to you. Like there was a, a guy who found one of these as a pup and he pretty much raised it. And I believe him. I believe that he did find something that was young and it grew up. Unfortunately, it could have just been a hybrid of one of these things. You know, it could have been like the the, the union of these two, of two of these people that were, you know, I'm starting to think more and more like I used to think that there were, there, you know, th that it's all just flesh and blood because the one I saw I thought was flesh and blood. And then I started to come to the realization that there's more going on than just that. There's a lot of different, you know, information pertaining to these creatures. Um one school of thought says that these things are shapeshifters and the other school of thought says that they're spirits and another school of thought says that they're completely physical. I think it's all of the above. If there is one that's a physical type creature that has evolved to be that way and pe people, even people who don't believe in evolution, let's call it adaptation, they've learned to adapt. When I say evolution, that's loosely what I mean is just they've learned to adapt to that and, and it's changed them physically. So they are able to walk and stand on two legs, whatever. But then there's these uh, skinwalker type in, uh, people, not necessarily skinwalkers in the, in the in the true sense of the term, but practitioners, and that and they don't have to be Native American. So we wouldn't really call them skinwalker. We would just call them, you know, practitioners, and that they are able to mimic creatures. I've gotten stories about uh, in a South Texas ranch I'll be talking about at some point. I got so much material about different things I'm, I got to keep up. But this one guy talks about these uh, wolf, these deer that look almost like wolves. They have antlers. They run around on their hind legs. They have the upper body of like a wolf or, or a bear. Um, they have teeth, but they have antlers, and their head looks like a, like an elk or a deer. And they have hooves, and he and and some of the other hunters I've interviewed down there actually believe that the, that these things exist. They think that it's some sort of uh, black magic, and so, um, like I said, when we get into the Hernandez Ranch episodes, which we haven't uh, put them together or put them all together yet, there's one guy in particular that's like he's like convinced that it's the product of black magic. It's not necessarily a physical thing, but they can create a physical thing. Uh, the late J.C. Johnson, uh, if anybody knows him, he was a very avid researcher of, of Bigfoot and Dogman. He did a lot of work with the natives. Um, he, he talks a lot about the Skinwalker legend. And one of the things he kind of specialized in was talking about the connection between it all. And one of the things he talks about in, in, in a couple of his, of his shows that, he, that he's, done, he's, he's been on before he passed, I was listening to it one day for some research and he was talking about how these practitioners of black magic will shapeshift into one of these creatures and then they get stuck. And then they're like, oh, no, what do I do? And so they're running around out there looking like that. And that's, you know, it's pretty much uh, the rest of their life is going to be spent um, looking like a, a werewolf. You know what I mean? And so. You know, yeah, that's unfortunate for those guys. You know, 
the the bad thing is a lot of people that do enslave bad spirits and make them do their conjure work they're being enslaved themselves but in the long run you know they yeah i've told my nephew that before when he was a young when he was a young kid you know and he he told me he's like uncle wolf it seems like the bad people in this world always win and i told him i said that's not true winning in this world means nothing you could inherit the whole right. world and you lose your soul i mean you're talking a long struggle you know we 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 as christians we as the righteous whether you're a christian or not a christian but if you're you're doing what's right you know and you're on that the good energy side you know i'm going to tell you this those people who are on the other side, they may look like they're winning, but even if they win in this world, what does it matter? Your, your eternal soul is damned. Now, I've heard stories of these people. I've done a lot of research into the uh, vampire cults from, from New Orleans. I've done some research into that because I've got a couple connections who've given me a lot of information. But one in particular has said that these people can – not only can they live for, you know, 100, 150 years and, you know – when they die, they have a way to reincarnate. Now, this is what I've been told. I'm not saying this is 100% what I believe, but this is what I've been told. And my research has shown me that they can reincarnate over and over again for like 800,000 years. And then, you know, before they're finally done. If that's true, even if that's true, okay, and you took a six-foot-long desk or a table, okay, and take that desk and take a look at that desk. Take a look at that table, whatever. Take an index card, and just place it at the end of that table, okay? That's how much time you have, even if you had a thousand years, as opposed to the rest of all, you know, of, of what you're looking at, you're going to pay. What you're going to pay for, is it worth it? Now, look at how thin that index card is at the end of that table, and look at the rest of that table. Is that a good trade-off? No, it's not. So even if somebody, like some sort of devil or whatever, some uh, false god gives you a life of a thousand years, what is that in the big scheme of things? I mean, it's literally nothing. It's nothing. I mean, you're looking at like it's a sucker's deal. And anybody who falls for it, yeah, you can get money, sex, power, uh, drugs, whatever the heck you want. I mean, the world is yours for the, the, the however long you're here. And then you're gone and you're giving up your heavenly, uh, your place in heaven to basically sell out and get a little bit of time here on earth. Because I don't know what these people think. If they think that hell is going to be a big party, uh, it will be. But not for you. <laughs> right, right. Because it's a place of torment and suffering. And, you know, there's a saying that I dislike when they say, oh, I'd rather, what is it? Uh, rain and rain in hell. In. Yeah. Rather, mm -hmm. yeah, but no, they're, they're going to be subjected to all kinds of torture. Mm -hmm. from what I yeah, raining in hell and rather than serving in heaven. First of all, you're not going to rain in hell. Um, you're going to be in hell. And... Here's another thing, folks, that I'm going to tell everybody, shocker, you know, news alert, these demons, these uh, whatever you want to call them, unclean spirits, evil spirits, whatever, they don't like us. They don't right. like you. They do not like you. They absolutely do not like you. And, and, and they'll pretend to like you so that they can get what they want and then take advantage of you and destroy you because it is a war. And ultimately... The evil spirits, okay, demons, whatever you want to call them, the Nephilim, whatever word or name you want to change and interchange, it's all the same to me. Now, there are different factions, believe me, but it's the same to me as like a blood is to a crypt. What do I care? It's still, it's the same thing to me. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's like, you know, what, what does it matter what one gang is to another? They're, they're, they're not me. So, 
You know, it's like it doesn't matter what faction it is or whatever. They don't like us because they're not us and they get it. They know that they are in a war with mankind. They're in a war with the heavenly realm. They're in a war with God and his angels. They know that the stupid people on this earth don't know that they don't get it. And some, a lot of them don't even believe that it exists. I mean, there is a, an elite group of people who run everything, who own everything. They control everything. I'm talking everything from the banks to the, to the, to the Hollywood, doesn't matter what it is. There is the, and, and these people, you, you will never be them. It doesn't matter. Okay. You were born who you are and you're not going to be them. They are very small. One of 1% of the, of the elite is basically what they are and they control and, and, Everything we get and hear and say and do, it's all filtered through them. They have control. And so you're not them. And you're in there. They know that they're in a war with the rest of us. But the rest of us seem to not grasp that you're in a war. You're getting punched and you don't even know you're getting punched. The dark side, the evil, it's fully committed to this war. And they know that they're in a war. And they they are doing everything they can. But the, And ultimately, it's all for naught because in the end, it's going to be a losing battle for them. It doesn't matter. God is all-powerful. You can't fight God. He's the creator of all things. There's nothing you can do. And there's a lot of people that maybe at home listening going, yeah, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in all that. In the end, it doesn't matter whether you believe now or not. Like, it's not going to affect me whether you believe or not. And it's not me you have to answer to. At some point, you're going to have to face the music that the, you're, there's not just this uh, human power that's that's there that we have to answer to and is running the show. This little short 80-year, 70, 60-year, whatever lifespan that we have is like a gnat, okay? You die like boom, like that. So in the end, you know, practicing all this, this these things that they do, it, it's not going to get you anywhere. I mean, it's a short-term thing. And, you know, it's really a sucker's deal. I mean, I've never seen such a sucker's deal. And, and, you know, I mean, like, if you've ever gambled, you know, there's just certain things. You know, it's like you go to a casino and you spend your money. It's like, you know, don't cry when you don't come home with money because that's all it's geared for is taking your money. It's a sucker's deal. That's true. And, you know, I wanted to mention that even though I love learning, it's a lifelong habit and passion with me. Gaining knowledge, but the right way, you know, through investigation, through talking to people, through sharing of stories, through, but not, not using black magic to get it. I think a lot of people are misled with that. And, you know, the older I get, the more sensitive I am to feeling out these invisible things. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. And like I said, this experience was a soul level experience, unlike the other things I've had in my life, where it was life and death. I think for me, that was a very good wake up call. And, you know, it's a testament for myself that, you know what, the invisible world exists and there's good and there's bad. Folks, that's all the time we have for for tonight with Arturo. We're going to be back next week finish up this uh, discussion and I hope you all tune in. Good night.